Welcome everybody to Surveillance Report 57, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week, including a summary of Amazon's internal product launch conference, which is just dystopian as hell and kind of fun for us to cover. There's a couple of fun misfit stories, and there's one privacy company who's giving back to the open source community that we're very excited to talk about, and there's lots of other news. Get ready for a fun week. I'm Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And this week we have something a little bit different. So despite what some of you think, we don't have any sponsorships. We implement our own affiliate links and our own donation slash support methods for you currently. We have been internally talking about ways to implement sponsors in a way that's completely um, conflict of interest free. In other words, we wouldn't be taking sponsorships from any privacy oriented companies, maybe not even digital companies. We don't know yet. The point is, this is something we're internally discussing. But what I wanted to talk about is I wanted to ask for your feedback. How does this make you feel? The essential pros is it's an immediate boost in revenue for us and we can do a lot of cool things. We might be able to publish more content and do more cool stuff. And the possible con is if you guys think that'll be a conflict of interest in any way. We would do things in a way that I can promise won't be a conflict of interest, but there's new people who might not believe that. And some of you might not just trust us. And we wanna ask what we can do for you to trust us. So leave your feedback. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment. If you're not on YouTube and you're listening to the podcast, check out our website at techlord.tech, or you can visit Nathan's website on uh, The New Oil. Both links are always in the description and you can go ahead and go through the contact pages on both of those sites to let us know. We would love to hear your feedback and thank you for any feedback you give. All right, with that taken care of, let's go ahead and jump into the news this week. And as always, we're gonna start with our data breaches. We're gonna start with Neiman Marcus, who had a data breach impacting 4.6 million customers. Neiman Marcus is a luxury retailer brand. Personally, I best know them for makeup, but I, I guess they sell a lot of other stuff too. The customer information that was impacted was, from what I understand, only from online accounts. And that included names, addresses, contact information, usernames, passwords, credit card numbers, expiration dates, gift card numbers, and security questions. It is not clear at this time if the passwords were hashed, what they were hashed with, any of that. Customers have been advised to reset their passwords, but that's the only step that Neiman Marcus has taken. They haven't offered any identity theft monitoring or anything like that. And unfortunately, this is not the first breach of this kind. Back in 2014, Neiman Marcus had a data breach that compromised over 1 million card numbers, 2,400 of which were later abused. I have a friend who used to work for Neiman Marcus. I texted her and shared this story and her immediate response was not surprised. So yay. The next story, PortPass app may have exposed hundreds of thousands of users' personal data. PortPass is a Canadian proof of vaccination application and this data breach specifically leaked email addresses, names, blood types, phone numbers, date of births, and photos of IDs like your driver's license and passports. So it includes essentially every single form of identifiable information possible out there outside of maybe your DNA. This is not a shocker. The CEO actually accused everyone else of lying and breaking the law instead of taking any kind of accountability, which is always just fantastic. Our next story comes from Coinbase, where hackers were able to bypass Coinbase's two-factor authentication codes to steal customer funds. The story says that more than 6,000 users had their funds stolen between March and May of this year due to a bug that allowed the bypassing of SMS two-factor. Uh, from what I could gather, SMS two-factor was affected, all the other kinds were fined. In a nice twist, Coinbase has promised to reimburse the users that lost money, but the lesson here is, number one, don't use SMS two-factor. Uh, I know for a fact that Coinbase offers software, so 
use software or even hardware if you use it and they offer that. And number two, keep your funds in a local wallet. Don't keep them in Coinbase. Move them to, uh, you know, Electrum or Trezor. That's the one. One of the hardware wallets or software wallets, just anything offline, a local wallet. Our next story, a U.S. Army medical records technician has been sentenced for stealing $1.5 million by uh, using veteran information from DOD, Department of Defense Benefit websites. So this happened between July 2014 and September 2015. Headline kind of says it all. It was an insider who stole the medical records of more than 3,300 military members and defrauded up to $1.5 million in benefits. So the big story here, something I harp on a lot. Beware of internal threat actors. This is why we preach like zero knowledge, zero access, email and cloud and all of it, because man, if they can access that information, they can abuse it. And our final data breach for the week comes from Navistar, who's confirmed a data breach involving employee healthcare information. So in May 2021, this data that was leaked and included full names, addresses, date of births, and social security numbers only for the employees of Navistar, though. I mean, that's pretty much it. So just be aware that when you are a Welcome everybody to Surveillance Report 57, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week, including a summary of Amazon's internal product launch conference, which is just dystopian as hell and kind of fun for us to cover. There's a couple of fun misfit stories, and there's one privacy company who's giving back to the open source community that we're very excited to talk about, and there's lots of other news. Get ready for a fun week. I'm Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And this week we have something a little bit different. So despite what some of you think, we don't have any sponsorships. We implement our own affiliate links and our own donation slash support methods for you currently. We have been internally talking about ways to implement sponsors in a way that's completely um, conflict of interest free. In other words, we wouldn't be taking sponsorships from any privacy oriented companies, maybe not even digital companies. We don't know yet. The point is, this is something we're internally discussing. But what I wanted to talk about is I wanted to ask for your feedback. How does this make you feel? The essential pros is it's an immediate boost in revenue for us and we can do a lot of cool things. We might be able to publish more content and do more cool stuff. And the possible con is if you guys think that'll be a conflict of interest in any way. We would do things in a way that I can promise won't be a conflict of interest, but there's new people who might not believe that. And some of you might not just trust us. And we wanna ask what we can do for you to trust us. So leave your feedback. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment. If you're not on YouTube and you're listening to the podcast, check out our website at techlord.tech, or you can visit Nathan's website on uh, The New Oil. Both links are always in the description, and you can go ahead and go through the contact pages on both of those sites to let us know. We would love to hear your feedback, and thank you for any feedback you give. All right. With that taken care of, let's go ahead and jump into the news this week. And as always, we're going to start with our data breaches. We're going to start with Neiman Marcus, who had a data breach impacting 4.6 million customers. Neiman Marcus is a luxury retailer brand. Personally, I best know them for makeup, but I, I guess they sell a lot of other stuff too. The customer information that was impacted was, from what I understand, only from online accounts. And that included names, addresses, contact information, usernames, passwords, credit card numbers, expiration dates, gift card numbers, and security questions. It is not clear at this time if the passwords were hashed, what they were hashed with, any of that. 
customers have been advised to reset their passwords, but that's the only step that Neiman Marcus has taken. They haven't offered any identity theft monitoring or anything like that. And unfortunately, this is not the first breach of this kind. Back in 2014, Neiman Marcus had a data breach that compromised over 1 million card numbers, 2,400 of which were later abused. I have a friend who used to work for Neiman Marcus. I texted her and shared this story and her immediate response was not surprised. So yay. The next story. PortPass app may have exposed hundreds of thousands of users' personal data. PortPass is a Canadian proof of vaccination application, and this data breach specifically leaked email addresses, names, blood types, phone numbers, data births, and photos of IDs like your driver's license and passports. So it includes essentially every single form of identifiable information possible out there outside of maybe your DNA. This is not a shocker. The CEO actually accused everyone else of lying and breaking the law instead of taking any kind of accountability, which is always just fantastic. Our next story comes from Coinbase, where hackers were able to bypass Coinbase's two-factor authentication codes to steal customer funds. The story says that more than 6,000 users had their funds stolen between March and May of this year due to a bug that allowed the bypassing of SMS two-factor. Uh, from what I could gather, SMS two-factor was affected, all the other kinds were fined. In a nice twist, Coinbase has promised to reimburse the users that lost money, but the lesson here is, number one, don't use SMS two-factor. Uh, I know for a fact that Coinbase offers software, so use software or even hardware if you use it and they offer that. And number two, keep your funds in a local wallet. Don't keep them in Coinbase, move them to, uh, you know, Electrum or Trezor, that's the one. One of the hardware wallets or software wallets, just anything offline, a local wallet. Our next story, a US Army medical records technician has been sentenced for stealing $1.5 million by uh, using veteran information from DOD, Department of Defense benefit websites. So this happened between July, 2014 and September, 2015. Headline kind of says it all. It was a, an insider who stole the medical records of more than 3,300 military members and defrauded up to $1.5 million in benefits. So the big story here, something I harp on a lot, Beware of internal threat actors. This is why we preach like zero knowledge, zero access, email and cloud and all of it, because man, if they can access that information, they can abuse it. And our final data breach for the week comes from Navistar, who's confirmed a data breach involving employee healthcare information. So in May 2021, this data that was leaked and included full names, addresses, data births, and social security numbers only for the employees of Navistar, though. I mean, that's pretty much it. So just be aware that when you are uh, being employed from somewhere, you're also trusting that company to protect your information. So even if you don't shop there and you just work for them, that's also another point of attack. And uh, it's worth noting it was former employees, too. So just because you leave, that data is also... They keep it on record, and that's still vulnerable. F. <laughs> F. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. With that, let's move on to companies. And we're going to start with Google. This is a little bit of a speculative story, but it's still worth having on your radar. The headline says, as Google sets a burial date for legacy Chrome extensions, fears for ad blockers grow. This is a story that's kind of kept popping up over the years, but now I, I think it's a little bit more tangible because again, Google is actually setting a date for this. So Google has announced that Manifest version two which is a specification for browser extensions, will no longer be supported in Chrome after January of 2023, or in January of 2023. After that point, version three will be the new standard. Despite having been quote unquote years in the making, according to the statement, and despite being touted as quote, secure, performant, and privacy preserving compared to version two, critics are noting that version three has its own set of problems, including a lot of bugs that have never been fixed despite being around for years and being reported. 
Among the many issues, the ones that are particularly noteworthy are the fact that it could break ad blockers, it could fail to wake up background pages, and it could cause issues with allowing extension developers to streamline their updates. Each one of those things, there's like two or three paragraphs kind of going into detail. So if you're curious, definitely check out that article. But this is something to have on your radar and just something to be aware of, especially if you make extensions, which we are grateful for if you do. We're going to move over to Apple now, and there's a new research article coming out that says when you ask apps not to track, some iPhone apps keep snooping anyway. So it's done by Lockdown and Washington Post, and they both found that when you ask apps not to track you, which was introduced in iOS 14, they start fingerprinting you in other ways. So they're essentially finding side channels of getting similar information. Subway Surfers, best game ever, for example, sends 29 data points to chart boost, including your IP address, available storage, volume level, and battery level. And here's a direct quote. Among the apps Lockdown investigated, tapping the don't track button made no difference at all to the total number of third-party trackers the apps reached out to. And the number of times the apps attempted to send out data to these companies declined just 13%. So there was an improvement, but it seems like companies, as we expected, were still finding a way to work around this system, and it's not a foolproof way. It's unclear how this compares and contrasts to the other research we've seen because we've covered other stories in the past showing that there's less ad revenue going on to the iOS platform and there was actually a noticeable improvement in some of the privacy practices of apps. I guess the answer is likely is going to land somewhere in the middle, which is the number of times that apps attempted to send out data to these companies declined 13%. An improvement, just not very much. Our next story comes from Facebook. This is kind of a short story. It says they are pausing Instagram kids and building better parent supervision tools. So I'm gonna go ahead and quote the article. We believe building Instagram kids is the right thing to do, but we're pausing the work. We'll use this time to build, work with parents, experts, and policymakers to demonstrate the value and need for this product. We'll continue to build opt-in parental supervision tools for teens. So yeah, first of all, the astoundingness that they think Instagram kids is the right thing to do. I guess they've gotten a lot of pushback about it and they're just trying to deflect the heat. Either way, that's on pause for now. If you're a parent and your kids use Instagram, be sure to make use of the supervision tools because as they said, they are opt-in. Now let's move on to Amazon's private event roundup. So earlier this week, Amazon had a kind of like a big product release conference, but it was like an in-house internal thing only, or it was like an invite only kind of thing. These are the, the big things that they announced specifically as they relate to privacy. So first up, they announced the Halo View, which is a fitness tracker and a workout slash nutrition service. So, you know, it's their answer to the Fitbit and it can come with the ability to track your nutrition and sign up for workout classes and stuff. They've announced a smart thermostat for $60, which is less than half of what most competitors are charging. So unfortunately you make something cheaper and people are probably gonna be more likely to buy it. This was designed in cooperation with Residio, who works with Honeywell, and it will be an Alexa compatible. The next thing, they made some additions to Ring. They are rolling out two-factor authentication and end-to-end -end encryption for everybody. Why the two-factor was not already standard is completely beyond me, but whatever. They have announced an always-home drone camera. This one doesn't seem like the worst thing that they could have come up with. So when you're not using it, it stays on the charging station and the camera is covered. So at very least the camera re couldn't record you if it wanted to. I don't know if it has any microphones. It can be triggered either by alarm sensors or by an app. So you can have it so that it only activates when you're not home and then you turn on the alarm and something triggers the alarm. It'll get up, it'll fly around the house. It only records while it's in the air. And then, you know, it'll send you whatever footage. So if somebody breaks in, it'll catch that on camera. Or if there's nothing, you'll be able to 
look at the footage and be like, oh, nobody's home. Oh man, I'm on a horror movie kick right now. And I just, I can't wait until that gets used in a horror movie because you know it will, that, that'd be cool, sorry. They've also announced the Ring Alarm Pro, which is $20 a month. It's basically just professional monitoring for your Ring doorbell. It does come with a Eero TrueMesh Wi-Fi 6 router as a backup in case your internet goes out. It's basically just like a cell phone router. It comes with a, three, a free three gigs of data. And then of course, if you pay more, you can add more data. There's a Ring job site security thing. There's Ring Virtual Security Guard, which is, Kind of like the Alarm Pro, it's a third-party monitor, but they can talk to people. I guess it's if you're too busy to like answer the doorbell because you're at work, then you can pay for this and somebody else will ask them why they're there. It is live only. They cannot view old footage. And finally, they've added a package and custom event alert. So if somebody drops off a package, you'll get an alert. Or you can say, you know, hey, when my kids get home, send me an alert. And then the last thing is Astro which is a robot that a lot of people compared to like the Jetsons. It wanders around the house. It follows you like a lost puppy. And it can also be interacted with just like an Amazon Echo. You can tell it to play music or whatever. You can tell it to go tour the house and make sure the kids aren't locking each other in the closet. I don't know, but yeah. Anything you wanna add to all those, Henry? Yeah, a couple things. One on Astro, the little robot thing, there was some leaked documents from a person who worked on Astro. They helped develop Astro. And they said, quote, Astro is terrible and will almost certainly throw itself down a flight of stairs if presented <laughs> the opportunity. Beautiful. The person detection is unreliable at best, making the in-home security proposition laughable. <laughs> so um, I'll make sure to give that to you in the sources. Um, but this is an article that came out with some leaked documents from someone who worked on it. Uh, and they're pretty much like, this is absolute garbage. Um, and a, th a second thing I want to say is, if you check the prices for all of this stuff, this is typical Amazon strategy. Everything that Amazon sells that's IoT related undersells the competition significantly. In fact, I think I've seen some articles that Amazon sometimes takes a hit on these uh, devices. So they'll actually sell them for less than they're worth to make. And the reason for that is pe Amazon wants to be the first people in the IoT world. They want everyone to have the Amazon devices and be in this Amazon ecosystem so that eventually they can flip the switch and they can start charging more or they can, maybe this is all for data. We don't know, but long story short, this is a very strategic business decision on Amazon's point to um, undermine and undersell pretty much everything else on the market right now, which is what Amazon does with everything, but especially with this. We have a few more company stories. First up, Cloudflare is taking a shot at email security. This is more aimed at businesses, but essentially you'd add Cloudflare on top of your current email address. So all your emails would go through Cloudflare, Cloudflare first. And this is done to try to catch targeted phishing attacks. It reduces the effectiveness of address spoofing and it mitigates fallout if a user does click a malicious link. So it's kind of a security perk at the expense of having to give all of your emails to Cloudflare. There's also Cloudflare email routing and email security DNS wizard, which allows users to send emails to Cloudflare first for vetting and analysis. So it's pretty much a security feature. And something that I wanted to know is this seems like an ongoing surge that we've been seeing lately of several new privacy and security products aimed towards improving email. So DuckDuckGo released their stuff recently for the private relay. Apple, that's what Apple calls it. Apple calls theirs private relay. Apple has their own email protection services. DuckDuckGo just introduced theirs. Cloudflare is getting in on this. And obviously with the smaller projects like Simple Login and Anon Addy, but essentially we're seeing a lot of momentum in the email space right now in terms of trying to improve on what is email. I can already hear the people in the comments that are like, email's not secure. As if that's yeah, going to stop know. people from using it. We didn't say that. 
we were just saying people are improving on it, but they, they will they will still say that. And when you leave that comment, I'm gonna heart it for you. <laughs> okay, our next story is also from Cloudflare. This is another one of those things where um, I, I don't fully understand this and I'm probably gonna screw this up. So I apologize for anybody who does understand this. The headline says, announcing the Cloudflare distributed web gateways, private beta, unlocking the web three metaverse and decentralized finance for everyone. I know in the past we put out a call for somebody if you understand what web three is to explain it to us. The best I've been able to make sense of it is it's just kind of like a decentralized web, more or less. And this paper or this blog post does go into uh, some pretty decent detail actually of how Web3 works. And I think they even talk about the IPFS and just all of this stuff. And basically what they're saying is, to quote the article, they say, uh, these technologies have a high barrier to entry for the average developer. You have to understand how to run distributed nodes, set up in esoteric developer environments, keep up with the latest chains just to get your app to run. That stops today. So basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to make Web3 and all of this futuristic future of the internet much easier to deal with. So if you are a developer and that is something that interests you, go ahead and check out this beta. Or, you know, if you don't trust Cloudflare, which is perfectly legitimate, then don't just read the paper. But yeah, that is something that they are trying to do. Our next story comes from Tesla. In 2019, a Chinese man bought a used Tesla from the company because Tesla does directly sell used vehicles, just like any other vehicle manufacturer does. Tesla, according to this man, they claimed that the vehicle had no history of damage. And as the man owned it, he found himself repeatedly going to the mechanic with all these issues. So he finally got a third party mechanic to check and they found evidence of structural damage. By the way, pro tip, if you didn't know, when you're buying a car, always take it to a mechanic, tell them you're doing a pre-purchase inspection. It costs maybe a hundred bucks and they will check everything and let you know if you're getting a good deal, if there's anything you should be worried about, etc. During the ensuing lawsuit, because of course this man went back and sued Tesla, you told me there were no issues with this car, there were issues with this car. Tesla had proof that the car had been damaged it was turned over as part of this investigation and they were ordered to not only refund him, but pay him an extra three times the car's value in damages. Since then, this case is closed, mind you. Since then, the man has posted on social media on, uh, I believe it's Weibo is Chinese. Uh, it's kind of like Chinese Twitter, I think, or Chinese Facebook. Anyways, he's he's been posting on there about this story. He's understandably upset. Tesla has seen the post and is now suing him for defamation. This is really unlikely to pass, but personally, I wanted to share this because it also shows how publicly posting things on social media, even when you're in the right, the case was closed, he was venting about it, and he's still in hot water now. I've heard people say things like, well, you know, he's obviously gonna win, so why does it matter? Personally, I would like to avoid the headache. I don't know about you guys and like what kind of free time you have where you're like, yeah, I'll just go to court just for the fun of it, but like, I, I don't know. I would rather just not end up in that situation in the first place, but that's just me. You guys do you. Our next story comes from OnlyFans. I actually want to share this with you guys the exact same way I discovered it. So the headline says former OnlyFans employees could access users and models personal information, which kind of sounds like a no duh, right? But then you read the first sentence where they buried the lead, even after they stopped working for the company. So when people left OnlyFans, they still had access to Zendesk, which is the third party system they use for support. Their access was never rescinded, which meant that even after they left, they could still log in. They could see customer tickets, which sometimes contained credit card info, driver's licenses, passports, full names, addresses, bank statements, selfies for the whole know your customer thing, model release forms, uh, earning and spendings history. So how much money you spent on OnlyFans or how much money you made. And this was after they left the company. Again, always be careful what information you're giving to a company, especially when it's not zero knowledge. You never know when that could come back to bite you. 
All right, a couple more stories and we're done with companies. First, MySudo, which is the number generation aliasing service that we recommend on our site. They now some kind of work with custom ROMs, which is big news. The way this works is it's through a new feature they have where essentially you can somehow add your account onto another device, assuming you have a device that works with MySudo in the first place. So it's kind of a workaround solution, but there is now a way to run MySudo on Calyx OS and any other custom ROMs that you might want to try out. Um, again, I have yet to test this. Michael Bazell covered it a lot more extensively on his podcast, um, but it's just something you should be aware of. So it means um, you may be able to ditch Hushed if you're using Hushed on these platforms because Hushed kind of sucks. The next story, Fairphone, which is the company that builds phones that are meant to be more sustainable. They have just announced details about the Fairphone 4, which is their first new phone they've released in years, which is really exciting. So this is announced, there's all the specs, you can read the specs if you want, but what I'm excited about is it has a five-year warranty and six years of software updates advertised to come with it, which is very exciting and it's also built sustainably and it has pretty decent specs and it's an actually usable phone. No details yet on what custom ROMs will be supported on it, but we can only hope that we'll have some cool uh, custom ROM support on that phone and that could be an option going forward for some of you. All right, and now we're going to migrate over to the research of the week. First, here's the headline. Most business owners do not disclose cyber attacks. So this study was done by Arctic Wolf with of over 1,400 IT decision makers at significant companies. The results are 32% of companies experienced a six-figure cyber attack last year and 61% admitted to hiding a breach, which is almost two-thirds of them. 78% of CEOs are willing to pay a ransom, 56% are willing to pay more than 100000 China and Russia are seen as the greatest threats, 41% each. The takeaway for you here is that you don't always know when a data breach happens. Not only can they not be disclosed, but they can never be discovered. And this is why we really encourage you to have preventative methods established, assuming that an email, an account, or anything related to a specific service will be breached without your knowledge. That's why we recommend using aliasing service with services when you can. And you really should be taking this stuff seriously because even though we talk, we cover sometimes like close to 10 data breaches a week, some weeks, that's still p potentially only a third of them, almost. It's just such a widespread problem. So take it seriously if you're not already. All right, our next story comes from Microsoft. Researchers at Eclipsium have found a weakness in Microsoft's power management hub. So all Windows devices since Windows 8 have come with ACPI, which I didn't write down what that means, but it's basically the power management hub. If you've ever used Windows in the last couple of years, you probably dealt with this. You can set it to like high efficiency or high performance or whatever. And that's basically what it's designed to do. It's designed to make the device run as power efficiently as possible, especially if you're not like a gamer or a power user. Researchers have discovered that a vulnerability can be exploited to alter the pre-boot code. It's basically a rootkit. If you haven't seen Mr. Robot, those are basically malware that boots up before the operating system, which makes it incredibly difficult to detect. This vulnerability can be exploited either locally, remotely, or via supply chain. Microsoft is recommending that until they are able to roll out a fix, you use the Windows Defender application control to limit what is allowed to run on your device. There are links in the article, uh, several links in the article taking you to that page and how to do that if you are a Windows user. Our next story will go to Apple, where researchers have found that 
AirTags are not as secure as Apple normally has for their standards and enables what they're calling a good Samaritan attack. So we've talked in the past about AirTags. They're these cheap little, I think they're like 30 bucks, cheap little tags that um, you can put it on your keychain so you stop losing your keys or you can put it on a backpack. We have talked in the past about they do create a risk for stalking. In addition to that, they also have this ability where when you find a, a lost AirTag, you as the owner can set, set it to lost mode and enter contact information. So that way, if somebody finds it, they can boot it up and it'll say, oh, here's my contact information. Please call me and tell me you found my AirTag. Unfortunately, when you put in your contact information, it's not limited. So you can hypothetically enter malicious code, which means that when the person finds the tag and scans it to see who it belongs to, the code can redirect them to a malicious site. It can inject malware. Uh, it can be used for phishing, all kinds of things. So yeah, right now they are calling on Apple to tighten that up and have better controls on what information you can put in the field. Maybe limit it to like an email address or a phone number and that's it, no code. Another Apple news, Apple Pay with Visa was hacked to make payments via a locked iPhone. So I'm going to quote the, the, the research, an attacker who steals a locked iPhone can use a stored Visa card to make contactless payments worth up to thousands of dollars without even unlocking the phone. The problems due to unpatched vulnerabilities in both the Apple Pay and Visa systems. Visa said that Apple Pay payments are secure and that any real world attacks would be difficult to carry out. The team explained that fraudulent tap and go payments at card readers can be made using any iPhone that has a Visa card set in express transit mode. Express transit allows commuters to tap their phones on a reader to pay their fares without unlocking the device. Um, so this is still unpatched and I'm a bit lost on the details on how severe of an issue this is on whether or not it's something that's going to impact you unless you have that setting enabled. From what it sounds like when I read the article, it, it sounds like it's probably not an issue for most people. So the express transit thing, they said in the article that that's for commuters like, you know, subways like New York and London, so that when you're going through the turnstile, you can just tap and go and, and you're not holding up the line. I'm not really sure how likely it is. Cause like, you know, Visa of course said, oh, it's, it's very difficult to do, but of course they're gonna say that. It sounds like it's probably not hard to do, but it does sound like it's fairly unlikely unless you have express transit mode set up. Got it. That, that's what I took away from it. I'm not totally positive, to be honest. Cool. So our next story comes from Kraken Security Labs. Yes, the same Kraken who uh, is a cryptocurrency exchange, so they would be qualified to talk about this. They have found vulnerabilities in a commonly used Bitcoin ATM. They found issues in the General Bytes BATM2. These included default admin QR codes, a lack of a secure boot mechanism, and quote, critical vulnerabilities in the ATM management system, unquote. They suggest only using crypto ATMs in locations and stores that you trust. So, you know, make sure that they've been around for a while, you, you know they're reliable, you know they get service. Check for protections. They mentioned specifically things like security cameras. Do they have a good clear view of the ATM, which makes it less likely that someone has tampered with it. Our next research story comes from Mozilla, who has done the usual checking the list of breached passwords lately to see trends, what kind of bad passwords are people using. Looks like they're changing. We're moving away from password one, two, three and stuff like that. Unfortunately, we're still using bad ones. Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man are all dominating the list of leaked passwords according to Have I Been Pwned. So just a reminder, use strong, unique passwords. I mean, even if you're gonna use a passphrase, don't stop at Superman. 
That's, that's not a passphrase. And our last research story is uplifting news. Consumers are becoming more active in protecting their privacy. Cisco did the 2021 Consumer Privacy Survey. They asked 2,600 people across 12 countries. 86% of people said that they care about their data. 79% said they are willing to act to protect it, but only 54% think that they are effectively able to protect their personal data. So uh, stuff like this, be sure to spread it around to people, let them know that it is possible and it's not as hard as they think. For people who have not acted or feel like they haven't done enough, the reasons they've cited are it's too hard to figure out what companies are doing with their data. That was 75% of people. And 47% of people consider it necessary to trade data for services. So, you know, they say, well, if I'm using YouTube, of course they need data to perfect their algorithms, which suck anyways. Of those who did act to protect their data, 33% of people left social media over privacy concerns. 28% left internet service providers. I'm assuming they don't mean left completely. I think they mean like switched internet service providers, but I mean, if they left completely, go for you, that's hardcore. 19% left a specific retailer, 19% left a specific credit card provider, and 18% left a bank. People are acting, people are concerned, a lot of them just don't know where to go. So if you have friends that say that they are concerned about this stuff, be sure to point them to a good source. And with that, let's move into politics. We will start with the federal prisons who are switching to scanning mail in what is being called a surveillance nightmare. I know I've mentioned this in the past. Author Cory Doctorow calls this the tech adoption curve, which is where they roll out invasive, unethical technology like this on the marginalized people that no one pays attention to, like prisoners or foreign combatants and stuff like that. But then over time, it bleeds here into everyday life. And we have definitely seen that happen. So it's worth being aware of this. Prisons are increasingly using services that will open the mail and photocopy it before delivering it to inmates. They are citing bogus concerns about drugs being sprayed onto the letters and affecting the guards. The reason I say that's bogus is because the article says they were not able to find any evidence that that has ever happened ever. Kind of like people hiding drugs in Halloween candy. Doesn't happen in case you didn't know that. These photocopies are then retained for at least seven years, frequently more. The company they talked to said they've been around for 10 years and never tossed anything. And the intelligence gathered from them is stored by the prisons. And that's one of their selling points. They tell the prisons, they're like, we can store this stuff and turn it over to you. Addresses, contacts, even device information if somebody uh, uses the contractor's mail tracking system. I'll just leave it at that. This is really unsettling. And on a topic of unsettling, the next story is kind of on that note too. When the FBI seizes your messages from big tech, you may not know it for years. This is a report that's talking about gag orders on big tech. In the last six months of 2020, Facebook received almost 62,000 government requests for user data in the United States. Almost 69% came with secrecy orders. Meanwhile, Microsoft received 2,400, uh, between 2,400 and 3,500 secrecy orders from federal law enforcement each year since 2016, or about seven to 10 per day. According to another testimony, Google and Apple declined to disclose the number of gag orders they received, but in the first half of 2020, Google said U.S. law enforcement made close to 40,000 requests for information and about 85,000 accounts, with many of the requests targeting multiple accounts. Apple said it received a little over 11,000. The practice is going to extend back to the 1986 Electronic Communications Act, but it's been exploding ever since 9-11. That is the story. There's not like a massive takeaway outside there is a lot more surveillance happening behind the scenes through these centralized entities because it's so easy to tap on a centralized company that has to respect laws for information. 
Our next story comes from Privacy International. The headline says, PI joins civil society in concerns over Mexico's World Bank-funded digital ID scheme. I can already hear all the conspiracy theorists. The basic takeaway of the story, the World Bank is offering $225 million to Mexico if they introduce biometric ID cards. Typical concerns, privacy, biometrics, data security, and the inevitable exclusion of marginalized people who have a hard time interacting with these heavily digitized services. So if you are in Mexico, you should be aware of this and contact your politicians and voice your opinions. And on a similar note, there is digital health IDs now coming to India. So the Prime Minister of India has announced an initiative to digitize and unify India's healthcare. This is going to include digitizing health records and rolling out a digital ID that's going to allow any citizen in the country access to healthcare. I don't know, this so far just based on what's being said, this seems semi-valid, but of course this is going to have a lot of concerns. The ID number is created using a person's basic details and a mobile number, or so mobile or I, I don't know what that is. Adhar? Adhar. I, I think that's kind of like a social security number, maybe? Immobile or Adhar number. The system's going to allow medical records to transfer more easily, and also patients can give feedback on various facilities and services. The article says the data is obviously owned by the individuals, and consent can be withdrawn at any time, but we're naturally going to be skeptical of that kind of statement. So long story short, this seems like it's something that's being done for the right reasons, but of course we're going to really like come forward and have some ma massive concerns with how this might be implemented and how it can negatively impact people as well. And now we're going to move over to free and open source news, or the FOSS news. We're going to start with Tutanota, who has come out in support of other open source projects. So if you are a project leader, manager, or a core contributor for an open source project that is non-commercial, and it's at least 30 days old, and it does not require payment, you are eligible to contact Tutanota and ask them for free premium email accounts, and they'll give them to you for free. Either way, it's a cool initiative, and I think they mentioned that 1Password does something similar as well, but like, we don't really recommend 1Password, but just so you know, 1Password does a similar thing, which is very ironic considering they're not open source themselves. Moving on, Element recently announced Spaces, which was in beta, and it's their attempt at offering a Slack-like experience to pretty much have rooms act as channels more so. Um, it's now out of beta, so it's now an official offering. There's still a lot of cleaning up to do, but users can organize rooms into public spaces, private spaces, or personal spaces. So good for Element. Um, I still personally think it's got a long ways to go, but I think it's still great to see the progress they're making. Our next story comes from Mulvad VPN, who is releasing a new browser extension called the Mulvad Privacy Companion, and it is in beta, so you can help them test it out. It is designed to quickly and easily help users uh, install various extensions they recommend, disable WebRTC, route your browser through a SOX5 proxy, and reduce CAPTCHAs. I was curious exactly what extensions they recommended, so I went ahead and installed it. It recommends uBlock Origin, HTTPS Everywhere, Privacy Badger, and Cookie Auto Delete. So personally, I don't think that part is really all that stellar, but I do think it's pretty cool that it gives people an easy way to like disable WebRTC, hopefully reduce CAPTCHAs, and I don't understand the SOX5 proxy thing, so I didn't even touch that. If you disagree with me, which is totally fine, and you think this is super awesome, it is in beta, please go help them make it better and test it out. And then our last, our last FOSS story, Gnome41 is out. This author wrote a pretty stellar review of it. He called it the next generation Linux laptop. So yeah, if you're a GNOME user, go ahead and upgrade and check that out. Now onto the misfits. And this is kind of a fun one. So 
Many of you know about the Internet Archive's Way Back machine, where you can load up what a website looked like at any point in time if someone took a snapshot of it. So you can go online and do techlore.tech and you can see what our website looked like four years ago. Don't do that, but you can do it. They have introduced a new tool called the Way Forward machine. And it's kind of a demo kind of tool. And all it does is it makes your website have tons of ads and blockers and like facial recognition stuff. It just future, it futurifies in a dystopian way your website to mimic what the internet could be like in 2046. So it's just a fun tool. I think it's something fun to send to your friends maybe to be like, oh, look, this little site like tries to mimic what's going to happen in the world and you know, 15, 20 years. I don't know, that's it. Just check it out. It's kind of fun. Our next story is a, a little less cheeky. It says the rise of one-time password interception bots. The number of malicious attacks are on the rise designed to fleece people out of their one-time passcodes. This attack does hinge on the presumption that the attacker already has your username and login. And basically all it does is they find your contact info, they pretend to be your bank or uh, whoever, Google, your ISP, whatever, and they say, hey, there's an issue and we need your code. In case anyone didn't know, they will never ask for your code. Don't give them your code. If you can, use hardware anyways. It makes you feel really cool and there's no way to give them your code. Our next story, fears surrounding Pegasus spyware prompt new Trojan campaign. I think we've talked about something similar to this before. The articles say cyber criminals unconnected to Pegasus are attempting to capitalize on the damning report by promising individuals a way to protect themselves against such surveillance. For listeners, that was air quotes, but are secretly deploying their own brands of malware instead. So we briefly talked about this in the past, how it's important not to over-sensationalize things because then people freak out and make really bad decisions like this. Pegasus is a big deal. It should absolutely be taken seriously, but the odds of it being used against most people are very minimal. And when people don't keep that kind of perspective in in check, then they fall for things like this because they think like, oh man, Pegasus, it's zero click. I could get it without knowing it. That's really, really bad. I should protect myself against it, not knowing that they probably don't need to. And also they're probably downloading malware anyways. Our next story is one of ZDNet's clickbaity headlines, which I hate when they do. The headline says, these systems are facing billions of attacks every month as hackers try to guess password. These systems are remote desktop protocol. That's really all it is. To quote the article, computer networks are being aggressively bombarded with billions of password guessing attacks as cyber criminals attempt to exploit the growth in remote desktop protocol and other cloud services in corporate environments. Just know that password spraying is on the rise, especially as work from home and cloud services are on the rise. As always, use good passwords, use two-factor if it's available. Up next, a hospital is arguing that a baby who died in 2019 was a direct result of ransomware. If this is true, this could be the first death that's been attributed directly to a ransomware attack. It also calls into question if the hospital is liable because they didn't have good enough security. So this just kind of introduces a whole new can of worms that we as a society need to unpack. Um, But that's the story. We might have our first death due to ransomware. Our next story, the headline says, a prominent anti-vaxxer gave out his phone number at a rally because he, quote, has nothing to hide. Two days later, he's begging people to stop calling him. The headline says it all. This dude was at a rally and he's trying to connect with other anti-vaxxers and trying to support them. So he gave out his phone number. He did say he has nothing to hide. He's like, unlike politicians, I have nothing to hide. So here's my number. I've said it before. If if you're anti-vaxxer, whatever, you do you. I'm not trying to make fun of him 
or anti-vaxxers. But I think this story is funny because it illustrates the nothing to hide fallacy and how it is a fallacy. When he gave out his number, I'm sure he had nothing to hide, but now it's gone viral. And now people who disagree with him, whether they're right or wrong, are abusing it and they're harassing him. And they're, I think this number's even been reported to some hotlines. Again, whether he deserves it or not, this dude is really suffering. And just because you don't have something to hide today doesn't mean you won't have something to hide tomorrow. And you never know when something totally innocuous you do could be abused and come back to bite you. So please stop saying you have nothing to hide because you do, you just may not know it yet. Next, a fun story to remind people to be careful what information they unknowingly review online. It's like, it's a theme today. Someone shared a brief clip on TikTok of experimental military stealth aircraft technology. Viewers were able to cross-reference buildings in the shot with Google Earth to determine exactly where it was taken. So again, this was just a little minor thing someone did and the internet got did what the internet does and they were able to track down exactly where the location was and that is now going to be another dangerous situation. That dude is scrubbing a lot of toilets right now. <laughs> Assuming they're not actually taking legal action because that was, if it's experimental technology, that's probably classified. It probably should have never been on the internet in the first place. And that's pretty much it for the week. So that's all the news. Again, we covered a lot of fun stuff. We really are gonna keep an eye on the Amazon stuff and see what happens once people start getting all their devices and more news comes out, which will inevitably be bad for Amazon, as we know. And uh, we also covered some cool FOSS stuff. It was just kind of a low key week. I kind of liked it. Again, promo spot, let us know about promo spots. Again, we normally manually pick these and we add in affiliate links that we have control over that are our own and we make our own decision on how to use those. Sponsors are different. Sponsors would actually, we have to form some kind of collaboration with a company. We have to implement them into our content somehow. Let us know what you think about it. We would still do it in a fair way, but we'd like you to hear how we can do it in a way that you'd still respect everything we do. And um, I don't know, just share with us your thought. Share with us your thoughts. Again, you can leave a comment on whatever video platform you're on. We read the comments on all the video platforms, or you can submit something through either Nathan's or the TechLore's website, which are both in the description as well. Let us know. Again, we thank you for listening to Surveying Support. We're happy to know you're staying safe out there. The final thing we ask everyone to do is to share our podcast around, right? Like make a difference by sending it to people you know and sending maybe a story that's relevant to a person you know. Make sure you're subscribed if you're on a platform that allows that or just follow the RSS feed and give us a rating if you're on a platform that allows ratings because that is how we reach new people. So thank you for doing that and also share around the videos as well if you're watching from the video side of things. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.